You are tuned to KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. It's 6 p.m. Tuesday, October 18th. I'm Joyce Miller, and this is the KVMR Evening News. Next month, voters statewide will take up two propositions that would legalize sports betting. One would expand gambling in tribal casinos. The California Report talks to opponents who say if Prop 26 passes, it could put card rooms out of business and hurt cities that rely on them for revenue. After regional news and weather, hydrologist Steve Baker dips into reservoir politics and Mark Cuniberti is here with his Money Matters commentary. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. This year, California voters will take up two propositions that would legalize sports betting. One of them would expand gambling in tribal casinos. But opponents say if it passes, it could also put card rooms out of business and hit cities that rely on them for their bottom line. KCRW's Megan Jamerson reports. Proposition 26 would make it legal to bet on sports in person at tribal casinos and the state's four private racetracks. That has the potential to be a boon for local tribes, says Prop 26 spokesperson Kathy Fairbanks. She says just look at what tribes have done with casinos so far. They've built homes, they've built schools, they've built health centers, they've built fire stations. Several tribes are backing the prop, and Fairbanks says more revenue from expanded sports betting could go even further. It not only benefits tribes, but it will bring tens of millions of dollars to the state of California. Opponents of the measure are largely led by card rooms. They are a small but important group that has a lot at stake. And for them, it's not so much about the competition, but rather a legal provision in Prop 26. Juan Garza is the No on 26 campaign spokesperson, and he says that legal provision could leave card rooms vulnerable to civil lawsuits. It's just like I think anybody in that position, they're scared. They're scared of the possibilities. And this is where things get complicated. The legal stuff is part of a long-standing disagreement in the gambling world over the differences between tribal casinos and card rooms. Take this demonstration of Pai Gao, a common table card game. Shake the dice, please. In a tribal casino, this game is played just like it is in Las Vegas, which means the casino is the bank, explains Michelle Fernandez. So anytime you're playing, you're competing against the casino directly and they pay you directly. Fernandez trains professional dealers to work in Los Angeles card rooms. And card rooms are not allowed to be the bank, so they hire third-party professionals to act as the bank at each table. No more bets. Oh, my God. Tribal casinos say this isn't legal, and they've taken card rooms to court. But those lawsuits didn't go anywhere. That could change with the new enforcement measure in Prop 26. And this is where things go beyond gambling operations. There are 78 cities in California that rely heavily on their local card rooms. These are cities where nearly half of their budget or more comes from card room taxes and fees. And they're worried about the long-term economic consequences if card rooms are hit with a slew of lawsuits. Take Hawaiian Gardens, the smallest city in Los Angeles 
Douglas County. Over 70 percent of its revenue comes from the city's local card room. You know, talk about all of your eggs being in one basket. That card room is the economic engine that makes our city run. Siobhan Moore-Cage is the executive assistant to the mayor and city council of Hawaiian Gardens. She says that revenue pays for essential services. They fund, you know, fire, police department, you know, all of these vital services that allows us to have a good quality of life. Both cities and card rooms will be watching the outcome of Prop 26. The latest polling shows it only has a 31 percent approval rating. But this probably won't be the end of the sports betting debate. There's already talk of a proposition for 2024. For The California Report, I'm Megan Jamerson in Los Angeles. This story is part of a project from the California Newsroom, a collaboration of California's public radio stations, NPR, and CalMatters. Supervisors in Fresno County are defying state and federal officials by voting to formally oppose changing the name of the mountain town of Squaw Valley, not the ski resort in Tahoe. The word is widely considered to be a slur against Native and Indigenous women. Both California and the feds are mandating the word be removed from government-owned land and places. But many people who spoke at a recent county board of supervisors meeting don't want the name of their town to be changed including Roseanne Dominguez. Our family can't comprehend why others find it offensive, but that's their choice. That's their belief. That's their upbringing. That's what's happened in their family history, and I can't take that away. Gloria Hernandez says the word is racist and offensive, and making the change is the right thing to do. My people have gone through this many times. A lot of us don't know who our tribes are, Because of the extermination, we blended in with the Mexicans. This is racial. This vote won't stop the name from being changed, but supervisors say they are considering a ballot measure so residents can vote on it. California Governor Gavin Newsom's decision to end the COVID state of emergency in February could have ripple effects for some Bay Area renters and landlords. KQED's Erica Kelly has more. While California's statewide eviction moratorium expired at the beginning of September, renter protections remain in place in some cities and counties. In San Francisco, Alameda County, and Oakland, those protections are tied to local states of emergency. If they follow the governor's cue and lift those orders, renters in those cities and counties will once again be subject to eviction for non-payment of rent related to COVID financial hardships. Earlier this month, the Los Angeles City Council voted to lift its eviction moratorium starting on February 1st. That was KQED's senior editor for housing, Erica Kelly. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. The San Diego Zoo welcomed its first cloned horse this week named Kurt. Kurt was born in 2020 at an animal cloning facility in Texas. 
but his DNA was frozen 40 years ago and preserved in the San Diego Zoo's Frozen Zoo, where they keep other frozen animal DNA. The Shavalsky species went extinct in the wild for some time, but was saved through conservation efforts. While there is a group of these horses at the San Diego Zoo already, none have Kurt's genetics, making him a goldmine for boosting genetic diversity and crucial for the species' survival. This is the future, folks. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, October 18th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Turning to regional news, after more than two and a half years, California is retiring its COVID-19 emergency proclamation. As reported by the Sacramento Bee, Governor Gavin Newsom announced Monday that he was lifting the state of emergency as of next February 28th. This will phase out the final 27 of nearly 600 directives Newsom established by the proclamation and other executive orders. The announcement comes amid concerns of a potential winter COVID surge and waning interest in the latest booster shot. The Biden administration last week extended the National Public Health Emergency Declaration until January 11th. In choosing an end date, state officials stated that they wanted to ensure health care providers had additional flexibility to handle a potential surge of infections during January and February. California is currently recording a daily average of about 7.5 new cases per 100,000 residents, an improvement from last winter's peak of more than 300 new daily cases per 100,000, according to data from the California Department of Public Health. Nevada County's Alter Show, on pause for two pandemic years, will be back starting Saturday, although it has moved to a smaller venue, as if studios in Grass Valley. As reported by the Union newspaper of Grass Valley, the Alter Show was created in 1997 as a means for artists and non-artists alike to create altars dedicated to loved ones who had passed. Lynn Schiffner, a board member of the Alter Show, told the Union that times have been trying, but the need to connect and acknowledge the community outweighed any thought of canceling the show altogether. The Altar Show, Renewal and Remembrance, will be on display October 22nd through the 30th at As If Studios at 940 Idaho, Maryland Road. An opening reception will take place October 23rd from 3 to 5 p.m. Now to the regional forecast from the National Weather Service and air quality data from PurpleAir.com. Warm and dry through Friday, then cooler with a chance of showers on Saturday. This evening in Nevada City and Grass Valley will be mostly clear with a low around 58. The air quality index this afternoon was measuring in the teens, which is satisfactory. Wednesday will be sunny with a high in the mid-80s and a low in the mid-50s. Tonight in Truckee and Lake Tahoe will be partly cloudy with a low around 38. Air quality this afternoon was measuring in the teens. Wednesday in the Tahoe area will be sunny with a high near 71 and a low in the mid-30s. For our friends in Sacramento and Woodland, this evening will be mostly clear, with a low in the mid-50s. The air quality index this afternoon was averaging around 60, which is acceptable but possibly risky for sensitive people. Wednesday in the Sacramento area will be sunny, with a high near 88. Wednesday night will be partly cloudy, with a low in the mid-50s. 
You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Predictive climate models are forecasting a dry La Nina pattern for California's third winter in a row. Yet maintaining the correct amount of water stored in the state's reservoirs is a life-saving decision in case of epic rains like we experienced one year ago. KVMR's Paul Emery talks to hydrologist Steve Baker about the factors that affect this delicate balance. This water news with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Before we get into our conversation for today, what is the up-to-the-minute prediction for this winter as of right now? The federal agencies are saying we are staring at a rare three-consecutive-year La Nina winter. We're talking about somewhat dry and also somewhat warm there's a 75% chance that it's going to be like this and stay like this through February. Not really the best news. No, not at all. Well, that's that's a pretty bleak outlet. And why are the reservoir levels kept so low? Water levels are low because of this extended drought. We're using a lot of water. Californians uh, need water every single day. So uh, bearing this in mind, California reservoirs uh, have to store water, but at the same time, they have other purposes. There are multiple reasons uh, for our using of reservoirs in this state. One of those purposes is meeting water demands, as we can see, but also there's another one where we need to protect against flooding. Last year, in October, we had unprecedented rain. We needed we, we need to have enough storage capacity in our reservoirs to hold back and store all that water, that excess storm water, in order to prevent, uh, you know, flooding of areas down gradient. It, it can destroy our towns and cities. It can destroy our California infrastructure. Floods are, are bad news. Reservoirs are a way of protecting against the consequences of, of flooding. And uh, this stored water has another benefit to it, too, because once we store all that water, it remains cold, and then it becomes available as a cold water supply to support a lot of aquatic wildlife. That is hugely important to uh, much of the wildlife in the Sacramento River and, and other, other rivers around here. It's vitally important. The difficulty these days is to accurately predict how much water will be coming off the Sierras and reaching our reservoirs. That's, that's the biggie. If we predict too low and empty out too much of the water so we have enough storage for those reservoirs, we, we jeopardize water supply. Or if we keep our reservoir water levels really high because, you know, we anticipate dry La Nina weather, then what happens if we end up with some humongous storm like last October? We end up overtopping the reservoir and we have flooding. So there has to be some sort of compromise. Uh, When there's this kind of flooding, people die. Uh, Properties, they get significantly severely damaged. And in our economy, it takes a hit. It takes another supply chain hit or some other dysfunctional consequence. It's it's not good. So we, we have to be very careful how we decide and to what degree we decide to, to empty out our reservoirs. There are strict rules that have to be followed as to how this water and when it's released from our California 
reservoirs. And as many of you have probably already guessed, climate change is changing water delivery in California. So that means we might have to move, change these rules around a little bit. And there's more to this uh, on this as we move forward in the future. Still, though, Steve, hearing uh, weather predictions that announce a huge rainstorm is still, for me, really good news, especially when we are coming out of a nasty fire season. Are wildfires impacting some of the conditions that impact how water flows into our reservoirs? Oh, yes. Uh, Let's use the Mosquito Fire as an example. Okay, we're all familiar with that. We shared in the smoke (laughs) for, for weeks. Watersheds can significantly be impacted by fire depending on the burn severity. Now, we were lucky with respect to the Mosquito Fire in that sense because uh, 65% of that fire's area was a low-severity region. And that's good news. That's a good thing. More severe fire severity cause, causes floods. You know, if, if it uh, causes the ground to not percolate as well. It uh, doesn't protect against erosion. So we have more flooding. We have more debris flows. All this uh, raises havoc for us and, and also our, our more natural landscapes. So as that rainy season creeps up after a big fire of, of a severe nature, we can really raise some havocs with these debris flows and floods. The Caldor Fire, if we want to uh, uh, compare the two, mosquito fire and colder fire. The colder fire, if you look at the moderate and high burn intensities, that percentage of the land was 53% as compared to only 34% of the mosquito fire. So significant differences between the two fires. The colder fire was nasty. It, it really had a lot of consequences after the fire was put out relative to the mosquito fire, which we're hoping will not uh, uh, be as bad. So water-related disasters, they, they really cause a, a domino effect on, on additional impacts to the countryside aside from fire. And those impacts, of course, impact our, each of our lives. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. Email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. Have you ever considered borrowing money or cashing out to invest in the stock market? Mark Cuniberti says you should think twice or maybe three times before rejecting such a risky plan. There is, however, an exception. Mark explains it in today's Money Matters commentary. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cuniberti. Investors often ask me if they should take out a loan, borrow a second mortgage, or cash out an annuity or life insurance policy to invest in the stock market. Although some advisors generally get paid on money under management and might encourage such a thing, I am of the opinion suggesting new borrowing to invest to be unscrupulous behavior on the part of any advisor. Since no one can forecast with any certainty market behavior or direction, having the client take out new loans or cash out an annuity or life policy may be dangerous. As for the annuity or life policy, one would have to look at the terms and conditions of these policies. Perhaps in certain cases, cashing out an annuity or life policy might be prudent based on the contract's terms and conditions, but doing so to put it in the market may not be in the client's best interest, but instead in the interest of the advisor. 
advisors. That is because money coming out of that liquidation, if put under management with the advisor, might boost the income to that advisor. As sworn fiduciaries to steward clients' money only in the best interest of the client, when I hear about such behavior by an advisor, I take note of what advisor did it and their firm and catalog that information for future reference, suggesting that a client go into debt to plow it into the markets is also, in my opinion, very, very bad advice. The reason for this is markets can go indeed up, making the debt a generator of profits over and above the original amount of the loan and its interest payments, but markets can also go down, and the up and downs of the market can go a lot farther and a lot longer than expected. Imagine taking a $100,000 loan out and investing it, and then the market falls hard and for a long period of time, such as what we are witnessing now. Since the legal disclaimer of investing includes the statement, you can lose money, including total loss of principal, one has to consider the possibility he or she won't make any money, maybe break even or even possibly lose some or all of it. Hey, it's possible. There are probably some advisors and investors that would argue this thesis and have encouraged such actions from their clients. I am of the stern opinion one should run far and fast from the very suggestion of borrowing to invest and the person or firm who suggested it. An arguable variation of this would be decide whether to pay off a mortgage or instead stick it in the market. For reasons I can't explain, my brain doesn't so violently regurgitate this idea, but I suppose it should. Guess I do have my biases. I would have to think long and hard about the mortgage question, see what interest rate the client is paying on that mortgage, the term of the mortgage, and the financial situation and risk tolerance of the investor, and then move forward from there. Now that I have said all that, there is a situation, at least right now, that I might toss out my recommendation of nixing any loans and suggesting investors take a look at the U.S. government I-bond, which I have covered many times before here on Money Matters. I've written an article on it, and you can Google up a gift from the U.S. government at the Union News to take a look at that article. With 100% principal guarantee and paying about 9.6 annually at this moment in time, investors might consider looking at an I-bond and comparing what it might pay and then what borrowing costs may be to obtain the funds to invest in that bond. In terms of the I-bond, interest rates paid can change, an early withdrawal penalty may apply, and there are some restrictions, all of which should be well known before considering. I suggest using my article, taking a look at it, to get a brief review of the I-bond. Then going a step farther and pay a visit to treasurydirect.gov for all the not-so-gory details. That said, the restrictions versus the opportunities presented by the purchase of the I-bond may be one of the very few instances that a debt encumbrance to finance and investment might be worth considering. That does it for today's Money Matters. I'm watching the market so you don't have to. And remember, this newscast expresses my opinion only and is not meant as investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell any securities or represents the opinion of any bank, investment firm, or advisory firm, nor this media outlet its staff members or underwriters. I hold a BA in economics with honors 1979 and California insurance license OL34249. Our website is moneymanagerradio.com, where everything is free, our way of staying thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Kumabari.
That's our newscast for Tuesday, October 18th. KVMR Community Radio gets support from Alpine Aviation since 1990, offering chartered and scenic flights with personalized schedules and destinations, plus flight instruction, also aircraft rentals. Located at the Nevada County Airport off Loma Rica Road, Grass Valley. Information, flyalpine.com and Ubidoc's Urgent Care since 2000, providing walk-in medical and urgent care, accepting most insurance. Open 8 to 6, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, Saturdays and holidays. Located in the Fowler Center, Grass Valley, ubidocs.com. This is Joyce Miller signing off. Please join us Wednesday evening at 6 for the next edition of the KVMR Evening News.